What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Now Not Yet podcast. I'm Clark Abbott, hanging out with my buddies, Janati and David. And see, the reality is before you, the listener, get to hear us talk on the, uh, you know, into our microphones at such, we have a conversation beforehand and it's always really good. And we're trying to kind of pull from that too, right? Like we yeah, all, yeah, it's, we it's, like it's fun. Like half hour and like discuss <laughs> yeah. what we're going to talk about. And, and those are like the coolest yeah. conversations because <laughs> <laughs> this is like refined and it's like, we don't want it to be refined. Exactly. Exactly. We're trying to, we're trying to give you the raw uncut you know, conversations that we have. Um, so anyway, thanks for bearing with us as we kind of get used to just this whole way of speaking into microphones and this and that. But um, yeah, anyway, today is a cool topic. Um, we're going to be going over early Christian philosophy. And Janati corrected me because I said Christian philosophy, but that's way too broad. And he's absolutely correct. It's early Christian philosophy. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, we're going to get into that. And then something I want to mention too, uh, is that we have been, as we're sharing things on this podcast, we've been going through a book together, which is actually a really fantastic book so far. And that is John frames, a history of Western philosophy and theology. So a lot of some of our discussion stems from that book. And I would say, I mean, I would encourage people to pick it up, right? Yeah. Well, why do we decide to go with this book? Well, I think that's a great question. Yeah, I think so. We, we wanted to kind of like understand philosophy, but we didn't want to just read secular philosophy. We wanted to read philosophy in light of Christianity with a Christian worldview in mind and how, and how like philosophy, Greek, like all this like, ideas trickled through Christianity and where Christianity was at play in all of this. Yeah. yeah. And pretty much how how we got to where we are today. And we, we didn't just arrive here with postmodernism out of the blue. There was a there was a progression of thought for two and a half thousand years. And it's interesting to see how Christians interacted with yeah. every culture. Yeah. No, totally. And that's again, so back to this this book that we've been using, it does a pretty solid job of summing up, you know, different ideas and different topics related to philosophy. And there's, you know, scads of other books out there, but we were trying to find something that was somewhat uh, concise, even though it's a few, what, like a thousand pages or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah real, like that. real concise. Just under a thousand. Anyway. So, yeah, this is not necessarily like uh, we're trying to sell this book, but it is an interesting book. And sometimes we're going to tell you about books that we're reading on here because, you know, we're, we're constantly um, trying to learn and grow, as I'm sure many of you listening are also trying to do. So if we ever have a cool tip of something that we're reading, then we will share that with you. Yeah, I think we'll definitely try to also like have a link or something to like post just like a list of books, just resources that like we were, we're kind of going through that helped us kind of on the podcast we're working on or just the topics, ideas, just to kind of like help listeners along the journey. Yeah, totally. And I know Janati's got plenty of books that he can share because he reads like He's a voracious reader. <laughs> so anyway, all right, enough of us uh, blathering on about the book. We're going to jump into this week's topic, early Christian philosophy. Um, yeah, and that's an interesting term. Like, uh, can we talk a little bit even, I, I know 
uh, in an earlier chapter, Frame talks about it, but like Christian philosophy, it's kind of like some people might even look at that, you know, with a raised eyebrow, like philosophy, like, isn't that, how can there be Christian philosophy, right? Yeah. But it's just a, it's just a framework, a worldview, right? A, a way of understanding reality, how to justify that reality and how do you live based on those two premises? So metaphysics, epistemology, and, and, and ethics. Cool. So you have to, you need common. So what philosophy does is it gives you common terms or terminology that everybody can agree on. And then everybody forms their, or tries to explain their worldview based on similar terms so that we can all, we all know what we're talking about. We can have a conversation among different yeah. uh, ideologies and frameworks and religions when we talk about the same, when we use the same terminology. Right. And we don't have to be afraid, as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of that term philosophy. No, philosophy just means love of wisdom. Right. And even though Paul Paul talks about Greek wisdom and says, you know, God chose the foolish things of the world and f- Christianity is foolishness, but then he goes on to say in First Corinthians chapter 2, he says, but we do talk about wisdom among the mature. And this wisdom was hidden with God and in God, and it was revealed. And the rulers of this world did not understand God's wisdom, for if they would have understood his wisdom, they would not have crucified the king of glory. But they did not understand. The wisdom was of God was hidden in the weak things of, of, of life and, and humans. It was... It was God's strength is hidden in weakness. I mean, that's something that the Greeks would have never understood because matter was considered evil. Got it. So we now have basically, we're just using the same terms to understand different worldviews. Correct. And so as far as Christian philosophy goes, we're just using the same terms. Yeah. Essentially. Did you want to add anything, Dave? No, I think it sums it up. Okay, cool. Um, All right, so early, jumping back to it, early Christian philosophy... Um, excuse me. Yeah, early Christian philosophy. Uh, how do you guys? So know. yeah, where you want to start? Well, let's kind of like go back a little bit with Greek philosophy. So the whole world was, uh, you know, the Greeks kind of started this whole ball rolling, and there was Greek religion, right? You had the Olympic gods, and you had fate, and and the Greek philosophers wanted to deconstruct their religious worldview and they wanted to get away from this notion of gods or God or fate and they wanted to just try to make sense of the world, right? So Plato and all these guys, but what ended up happening is they still, in every Greek worldview, there was an absolute that was necessary. An absolute, something that is, you know, self-existent. Right, and the absolute seems to be absolute in all of these narratives. Yeah. Yeah. It, right, it's a common thread. You can't get away from how. How do you end up with morality? You needed. You need the. You need a lawgiver. How do you end up with humans? Well, you needed something. How do you end up with motion? Well, you needed someone who was the prime mover, right? How do you end up with a world of of material? Well, you needed. You needed a world of form. You needed like how do you end up with a horse? Well, that has to be a perfect horse somewhere. Where where is this perfect horse? It's it's somewhere in the mind of, of someone. So there was in every worldview there was this absolute, but now it's this absolute which was God before, and let's say in the Jewish way of thinking, now this absolute is impersonal. 
and out of reach and there's no way to know and this absolutely is so transcendent it's it's virtually uh not practical to even get to know this absolute yeah so in, so in early christian christian philosophy god is the absolute tri personality yeah tri personality like like the trinity the trinity okay yeah so what ended up happening and then christ came into this picture right so in greek thought um flesh or or material world was evil like neoplatonism for example you had this perfect being that you know everything emanated everything came out of him like like the sunlight from the sun so and then there was this mind the first level was the mind the intellect the second level was the soul and then that was the eternal soul and our human soul and then it was the material world and after that was the most basic form of matter right next to non-being and this non-being is considered evil so flesh was so close to this evil in order to save yourself your soul had to be united back with with the ultimate being and matter was evil so now this universe or this this mind or this rationality became flesh and it dwelt among us and and his power was hidden in his weakness it was it, it put greek philosophy uh, you know on its on its on its head everything was completely upside down so and then Christ came, Christianity fo- f- followed after, and now when the, you know these scriptures were written, and now the Apostolic Fathers they had to de- deal with, all right, what just happened thirty years ago? What just happened in our century? Let's figure this out. So that's where you know all the they try they try to synthesize some form of understanding of what just happened a couple years ago, and this is where Christian philosophy really took its start. Like the early stages of it, and yeah, and the apostolic fathers—they were, they were the first generation after the apostles that had direct knowledge of them and knew them firsthand, that work with them, and serve with them. Correct. Right? Yeah, and, and we really don't have a lot of writings from them, only because they were so close to the New Testament writers that everybody still wrote on papyrus, and maybe, maybe you had some people started writing on parchment, mm-hmm. which is just animal skin, refined animal skin. So a lot of stuff doesn't, I mean, it, you can't, this stuff doesn't last long, so a lot of things were lost. So Clement of Rome, we have Ignatius, we have Polycarp, and then we have some anonymous authors for the Shepherd of Hermas and what's called the Didache. Didache was an instructional manual, uh, mostly on the book of, on the Synoptic Gospels. It was all the sayings of Jesus in instru- instructional form. It was given during baptismal classes. So it was all given as an instruction to people who are coming into the faith. And this is the ABCs of what you should do and how you should act in Christianity. So that's really the apostolic fathers. And Christian philosophy started after their, you know, after they left the mm-hmm. scene. And then you're left with no direct access to the apostles and nobody knew them directly. We're only left with their writing. So we're trying to make sense. There's no one to ask, hey, Paul, you know, what did you mean by we're yeah. seated with Christ? Hey, John, what does it mean that that the logos became the logos became flesh? What does it mean? There's nobody to ask. So you have to deal with the text. Yes, yeah, so now you're just interpreting to the you're, best. You're, 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 exactly. You become an interpreter of someone you've never met. So this is where doctrines kind of, you know, doctrines all over the place. They start swaying. They it start, start swaying, yeah. exactly. So it's like you got your first, the apostolic fathers, I guess we could understand them to be like the first wave of Christian philosophers. 
Yeah, but it was very practical. So they, there wasn't a lot of intellectualism. It was mostly, hey, don't give up the faith. I know you're being persecuted. Stay faithful. And by the way, you know, don't go, don't go to idolatry. You know what I'm saying? These people were heavily, heavily, heavily persecuted. They were dragged out into prisons and, and fed to the lions. There was no time to sit around and think about yeah. the philosophical framework of, of Jesus and who is he. You're trying to just survive spiritually. So it was a lot of just instruction on, on purity and and just encouragement to keep keep, keep standing, the faith. keep the faith. Right. Don't go back. So and then I guess there was the transition. So you go from the 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 founding fathers, the apostolic fathers, into the apologists, right? Yeah. And that's where we're gonna be heading next. But basically, um, that would be like the second century. Yeah, yeah, second, second century. Week. So 125 AD, 150 AD, 175 AD. And so, who who were the apologists? So they, so there, I guess. So obviously, they had no access to the apostles or to just to talk to them. And hey, what 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 were you? What you mean? What you write? And so they were being in the face of opposition from the Romans, from Greek philosophy creeping into it, from Gnosticism and heresies. Um, they were kind of the forefront. As and the, the Jews. Poly- and the Jews. And the Jews, yeah, yeah. because you still had Judaism. And so they were at the forefront of this battle to defend Christianity through all of this, through all these outside pressures to refine it and to prove it. And we'll go on further in the the exact people that were kind of the the leaders in this whole movement through through the years. And very interesting to note is that the first apologist was Justin Martyr. And by trade, he was a philosopher. Did he have, I don't know if they talk about, if Frame talks about this, but was he a understudy of any one of the big... Yeah, so the teacher of Plotinus... Okay, so the teacher of Plotinus, so Neoplatonism was founded on this guy Plotinus, okay. and he's the guy that said that there's a there's a perfect being, and everything emanated out of this perfect being, and salvation consisted of your you leaving your material body and being reunited with this ultimate being, right? So, so the Plotinus's teacher studied with Justin Martyr. Okay, studied with him philosophy, as, correct? As they were contemporaries, contemporary. Okay, yeah. but not as his teacher. No. Okay, got it. Yeah, Justin Martyr was a. He was his first. I, th- I think it was his first work. Was he was essential in defending Christianity to the Romans, where he would make his his case would be for that. Like, the, so the Romans were persecuting the Christians. His case to the Romans were, hey. Christians actually benefit your society, their moral standards, standards, their guidelines, how how to live as a Christian, their way of living actually benefits your Roman society. So it's actually beneficial for you, the emperor, to allow them and not to live peacefully and in your kingdom and not persecute them. And secondly, was his his uh, other argument was that the Christian God wasn't on earth; he wasn't reigning here. So how can the Christians be insurrectionists and be revolutionaries and be a danger to Rome if their king isn't even on this land. Well, let me let me ask you a more basic question. Why were the Christians persecuted? I mean, were they forming militia and attacking Roman bathhouses? Like, 
why were they why were they being persecuted in the first place? I think it was for a variety of reasons. I mean, it depends on the group that was persecuting them, right? Yeah. I don't know if we covered Well, this. the Romans. Let's say the Romans. Okay, for the Romans, well, I think it was what Dave was saying. Like, there's like the fear that there would be like an insurrection against the emperor's authority. Like, Jesus and challenged or true. got people to think that, hey, maybe we don't need, you know, the emperor. We're going to follow this Jesus. And that does not create but like issues within when i think of it i'm also kind of like were there were there that many christians or was it that rapid of a movement because like rome was was it's rome it's rome right it's like did they really consider that a few christians and acts that converted here and there right that where they were an actual threat well, see, this is what we don't realize it was an explosion an explosion to the point that wow. we have letters from governors of big provinces writing to other governors saying like hey shut saying this these down. are these guys are pests and the reason why is because believe it or not the christians were considered atheists right right yeah Be- because they didn't believe in their the roman gods and if they didn't believe in the roman gods that means they didn't go like if a christian if if there was a, let's say there's a community of 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 Greeks or and Romans right Roman citizens and there's this marketplace right and all of a sudden you know this group of this family became Christian the other family became Christian these people stopped participating in in orgies they stopped going to the marketplace yeah. to buy for idolatry the economy uh, collapsed the economy just, yeah, the yeah economy would implode in different places so they felt like these guys are here to destroy our way of life. And the reason why the economy is is imploding is because the gods are mad because these guys are not sacrificing to the guys to the gods. Therefore these guys are are atheists. Mm-hmm. And this we're being punished by the gods. So that's why they persecuted these people in, to say, "Hey, you got to renounce your way of life. You got to renounce Christ and you have to go back to idolatry to save our way of life." Right, and Justin Martyr came around and said, "Hey, these guys are not trying to take away your freedoms. Our kingdom is not of this world. We have nothing here. We don't want political power. We're serving Christ, who's in the heavens, and and He rose from the dead. So we we are not. We're not robbers. We don't steal. We don't kill. We we have wives. We have children. We we're all moral. We want to contribute. We want to work. We want to honest labor." And, so we're not here to destroy your way of life. So that's really his, that's how he presented Christianity. He was very diplomatic. Yeah. Right? Because he was trying to like keep the peace. Yeah. And is, that's why his theology was a bit off. Exactly. Yeah. Because right. he started, he like took Greek philosophy and Christianity. He kind of like blended the two a bit. Yeah. He wanted to find like common ground so that like pagan philosophers and thinkers can kind of stand on that common ground like oh it's kind of similar in some ways so that they can the transition would be easier and not radical and not like oh well it's kind of the same so we can kind of also believe in christianity as he well. wanted i guess in today's terms we can say he wanted to make christianity less offensive right yeah, and maybe that. he preached a bit of tolerance i mean it's very similar so when we study these guys we realize they've they were very similar to us or we were we we're very similar to them in in some respects Right. You think of like a clever new way to present the gospel or you're trying to, I mean, I, I like the idea that phrase of winning souls for Christ. It's like he's, he's, he has, I think the heart behind it 
is in the right place, but why was it problematic that he was, you know, trying to, what's that expression, like, win more flies with honey than vinegar or something? I never understood it, but you know what I'm talking about? It's like, you're going to attract more flies with honey than well, vinegar. Well, okay, think about right? it. If you want to attract the Greek philosopher to your religion, what are you going to say? Well, Greeks believed in an impersonal absolute being. Well, that's exactly what Justin Martyr preached. Our God is, he's too great to be known and he cannot be known. And Jesus Christ wasn't fully God. He was, he came from God. So he was less than God. And and what what, what ends up happening is, a hundred years later, now you're dealing. De- now you're dealing with a controversy. It's called the Aryan controversy, yeah. and and you know. There, so, what we do as Christians affects the next generation, yeah. and they have to a lot of a lot of times compensate for our for our problems and damage our damage control and da- damage control. That's exactly right. But I like what you know. What I like. I love what Frame does. I love what Frame did here. He said that the fourth century, so the Nicene Creed or the Nicene um, Council or Council of Nicaea in 325 was a gathering of the Arian believers, and the Arian believers are people or or Christians. There were there were Christians. It was a pretty big divide between huge, massive, and they were. You know, the, the guy who started this whole movement was a guy called Arius, and he said that Jesus Christ was not fully God. So they took this passage, Jesus Christ was the firstborn of creation of God, which simply means, and he said this, that there was a time, or there was a when, when Christ was not. In other words, there was a time in in the existence of of the world and the existence of all things, the universe where Christ did not exist because he came from God. He was born of God. Therefore he, he cannot be God. So that's what the Arians believe. And because he came out of God, he is not fully God. He's God with a lowercase, with a lowercase G. So God and, and Jesus aren't one. Correct. They're not one in essence. Yeah. They're, they're like each other. I mean, is there, is that problematic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, no, I mean, just, yeah, that they're not the same. Yeah. Like, okay. Why did, why did Athanasius, for example, feel so strong that he had to fight back? Because it's incorrect. Yeah, well, it because, doesn't, as far as it being in line with what the Bible teaches, it doesn't, add, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. So you start, you end up worshiping, the creature versus the creator. If, God, if Jesus Christ is not Lord and he is not the creator, he is a created being, right? Right. It affects your, your worship, number one. And number two, it affects salvation. Right. How can a non-God save you? Only God can save. Right. In Old Testament, God says, my name is Jehovah and I, and I am the Savior. So that name, Savior, is now given to Christ. And the issue is, if Christ is not equal to the Old Testament God, is he truly the Savior? And the answer is no, if he is less than Old Testament God. Anyway, so these were little intricacies that people fought against. And Athanasius was my absolute favorite guy. And what I love, what again, what, what John Frame does, he says that the Christianity came, and then there was about 250, 300 years of trying to understand what, you know he means and 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 trying to make him relevant to our culture and there was a lot of back and forth and doctrine it was very messy 
right? And then you have a period of about 200 years, a reformer came around like Augustine and he synthesized and he gave balance, right? And then you have in the next thousand years, you have a lot of mess in the middle mid, medieval ages and then you have uh, someone like Luther comes around and makes this reformation mm-hmm. and then John Calvin kind of puts it all together nicely. So you had this reformation happening in the fourth century. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I also like the idea that he that Frame talks about how as far as as far as what a person could know about the God of the Bible, right? As as far as these like early Christian philosophers were concerned, he uses the term that they were the church babies, right? Yeah. So we call them the fathers, the founding fathers. Oh yeah, yeah, right. But they're truly babies, right? Because they, right? They were just starting as well. There, there's. It's not you know to any fault except for the fact that they're the first, they're the, the you know s- uh, second century like Christ- Christians essentially. Yeah. So yeah. they don't have. That's a, isn't that interesting though? Like. Anyway, back to the idea that, like, even though there may have been things that we understand better today because of time and history, it's like this was not counted as a fault to their beginnings, right? He mentions that, too. Yeah, yeah and ultimately, like, Justin Martyr died martyr. Yeah, like he, he died like, for the Christian faith. Right. Well, hence his name. <laughs> Justin the Martyr. Is that where we get that term? Yeah, that's not his real last name. Oh, what's his real last name? I don't know. It's just Justin. I think it's Justin of Rome. He 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 lived Justin in, of Rome. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Ben. Back to the Aryan controversy. I, I yeah. know I wanted to mention this. What does it mean when when he when Paul says that he is the firstborn over creation or, or of the creation of God, the firstborn? I mean, it's very. He is. The, Right, if you look at the term for for what it is, he's talking about mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's saying that Jesus is the firstborn. I was, like, I was like, Paul's saying that about. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Jesus is the firstborn of creation, of the creation of God. But he was there. Didn't he exist? Well, bef- that's the thing. Like, where do you get the idea that he existed? If you look at that, you would say he is the firstborn of creation. Well, let me just say before we get too deep into this it doesn't mean that he was born and he was born first of god it simply means a firstborn had the preeminent status he had the most honorable position in the house the firstborn of creation got correct and we see this term firstborn used of isaac or only begotten it doesn't mean that he was the only one or the firstborn because clearly isaac was not abraham had an older an older son but Isaac took the preeminent position, the most honorable position. And this this term, firstborn, is also used of David. God says, you are the firstborn king in the world. Simply means you are the most, He first of all, he wasn't firstborn. Yeah. He was the least of his brothers, the youngest. And he wasn't the first king of Israel. But somehow God says he's the firstborn. It simply means that you have the most, I hold you in the most honorable position as a king. So when Paul says that he's a firstborn of creation, referencing to Jesus, he simply says he is Lord over creation. He has the most honorable 
position in all of God's cre- and over all of God's creation. He is Lord. He's simply saying he's Lord. That's what that phrase means. It doesn't mean that he was born first. Yeah, and on the the Arian controversy, I think the flip side was the heresy of um, Mar. Mar- Mar- Marcian. Marcian was that God, the God of Genesis, um, was a sub was a sub deity because because cre- the earth was bad and yeah. God created something that was materialistic. So that that was that was kind of a lesser status, and so Jesus was the replacement of this God of Genesis. Yeah, what's interesting is he came out of Gnosticism. Yeah. Right. So we have a lot of Gnostic gospels, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Mary, the gospel, there's so many other, the gospel of, let's say, Judas, right? So even now, like I know that uh I believe Elaine Pagels out of out of Princeton is a big uh big supporter of the Gnostic Gospels. They were found in Egypt, the Nod 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 Hamagi um uh cave in the I believe it was in the forties, maybe even later. Um, there were a lot of Gnostic Gospels. So what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism was a belief that, again, there was this being that it was he was the ultimate being. He didn't have a name, although some, some books do give him a name, but ultimately he's this nameless dude, right? We don't even know if it was a dude, just like <laughs> impersonal being that out of him emanated lesser beings, and we call, they're, they're called a- aeons, all right, and these lesser beings sounds had very, like sci-fi Star Wars. Yeah, it, so, it sounds oh, very right. sci-fi-ish. Yeah, and these beings had layers of like from greater to like least, and you have this the least of them, the 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 last layer or the last eon or that was that was came out of this being, accidentally created this material world by accident, and. This being is the God of the Old Testament that accidentally created. And Jesus came to replace this being so that he can save us from this material world. And salvation is hidden in you again, receiving secret knowledge to see if you can reunite with this original being. From these Gnostic teachers that somehow have this knowledge. Somehow have this knowledge, but yet it comes from a transcendent God who is too good to too great to be known. How do you see that's the problem with transcendence that super transcendence if god cannot be known how can you have knowledge and yet if god is and they also say that god is so close to us that we literally become divine mm-hmm. and if you are divine why do you need teachers to give you knowledge yeah. <laughs> right it doesn't even it's not even consistent with each other so and this is where i want you to tell us about what is it bythos that's the name that's the name yeah. right that's the name given in some books to this nameless being Okay, so the nameless being has a name. In some some yes, bythos. Okay. I think it means like depth and like Yeah, it's 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 not really a name as 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 more like a a title or so or so. It's kind of saying the unnamed being or the one who is unknown. It's not really a name. It's just kind of uh, yeah. So anyway, so Jesus came to save us from this from this evil creator god. And because he created this evil, 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 evil matter. So salvation has to be found in your, you know, your soul leaving this world behind and somehow escaping back to this, to this original Mm non-being, not the, not the, not the God of the Old Testament, but this original non-being. So you can see how this understanding and thinking 
crept into Christianity. And today, some people feel like as long as I have to be saved from this evil material world, not realizing that God made this universe and he said it is good. It's messed up by sin, but the material world is not bad in and of itself because ultimate, our ultimate final state will not be in heaven the way we understand it, but it will be in a new heaven and a new earth, which will be one place, and it won't be a spiritual thing. It will be a physical existence, which is why Paul came around and spoke with the Stoics and the Epicureans, and he said, "Hey, by the way, I know you're you have this tight, you know, you have this idol to the unnamed god. It's probably Aristotelian or Platonic, like this god who this god of forms. We cannot know him. This." impersonal absolute but let me let me tell you i'm gonna give you this this god is actually we know this god and he he appointed this man jesus christ who will uh, you know sir who will judge the living and the dead and he rose from the dead and he came back into this physical world what he came back into this life from that is is that where salvation is found back into this material world that's crazy this is nonsense because greek philosophy teaches us that salvation is found in our our you know soul mm-hmm. attaching ourselves to the unknown god and you're saying that it, ultimate salvation is found is in us reuniting with our bodies with the physical world with the evil material world what this is crazy right and how was that received they're like, yeah, you got, you got to come back again, bro. <laughs> like, like we, you're speaking some weird nonsense, right? Yeah. Wait, okay. And as far like, okay, so in talking about early Christian philosophy, we've covered, you know, one of the biggest names, which would be Justin Martyr, but then another one of the heavy hitters is Augustine. Augustine. And I want to leave a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah let's I've, do I've been practicing how Augustine to how to the... say his name. We we literally just for all of you listening, we literally had a probably good ten minute debate as to how to pronounce it. <laughs> Augustine, YouTube. Augustine. Yeah, we used all the uh, <laughs> the uh, you know correct resources. Google, yeah, there's YouTube. a city in Florida, Saint o- Saint Augustine. Right, right. But Saint Augustine in scholarship is pronounced Saint Augustine. So right. why is that? Well, because you had something about your penultimate. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, his name is uh, Augustinus in 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 Latin, and the syllable, the accent was on the penultimate, which is the second to last syllable. And in English, we only have three syllables, so it has to be on Augustin. So, so there you go. For everybody out there, if you if you've been debating this with your husband or wife or <laughs> pastor said or, nobody. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like um, nobody was. But. Anyway, so there you have it. But anyway, uh Gennady or Dave, who was I know we we briefly touched on him, but who was Augustine? How does I mean, he fit into early Christian philosophy? So he kind of he had really good work. So obviously he's the father of original sin. He kind of that, you know, we all, Adam was the original sinner. We all kind of generationally feel the effects of sin. And he's kind of like Plato where he, throughout all these early Christian apologists, he kind of brings all their works together and like all these early church fathers and apologists and has this comprehensive system and way of thinking where he kind of just systematically just puts it all together and makes it clear. Janani, what do you have yeah, to Augustine add? Yeah, Augustine was a phenomenal guy. 
but you not... knew him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. Oh, yeah, right. He just texted him. <laughs> great guy. He, his father was an unbeliever. His mother, Monica, by the way, Saint Monica in California is named after. Oh, Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Yeah, hey, Santa I didn't Monica know that. is uh, Saint Monica. Okay, which is Augustine's mother. Cool. So his mother was a praying mother. He went to study rhetoric, and he be- he became an unbeliever. And then he lived a very uh, sexually impure lifestyle for a long time. He couldn't give it up. And at one point, he heard a song sung by children, and this, the words of the song said something like, open up and read, open up and read. And he felt that the Lord was calling him to read the Bible. He opened up the first thing he opened up, and his eyes just randomly fell on Romans 13, uh, verse 13 and 14, which says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And he said, Lord, if you want me to do this, then essentially give me the desire to do this. And he, this is where he broke with all the other Christian thinkers in terms of free will. Before that mm-hmm. time, like Pelagius and, and even Justin Martin, all those guys believed in what's called libertarian free will. In other words, it was freedom of, of decision without causality. In other words, there's nothing in this world that causes you to choose a certain way. You're completely free, completely neutral, in your freedom, in your desires and and your will, immorality and everything. You're completely unbiased, untainted by sin. You're you're a completely autonomous moral agent. You can choose either right or either wrong at any moment in life. And he says, absolutely not. I was not, I could not choose God. I was incapable of choosing God. And it's only by the grace of God when he, where he opened up my eyes, was I able to, to, he doesn't even use this term, choose him, but essentially be saved by God. It was all by the grace of God. Yeah. And just like an emphasis was, um, on, on like the importance of Augustine was that when, so he was from Hippo and when, um, which is. North Africa. North, yeah. yeah. And and so when when the, um, I think the barbarians, when they ransacked the village, they destroyed everything. All the buildings, women, they looted everything. They took everybody. But his cathedral was left standing because of the reverence they had for his works. Are because, you kidding me? Yeah. I didn't know that. His, his cathedral was the only one that was standing because they were like, because of just what he impacted on society. Yeah. Wow. And he was, he was, a general of the faith. I mean, he was, for the next thousand years, Christianity will debate his writings. I mean, he was, he wrote so much. And one of my favorite things he wrote, he says, Lord, um, pretty much his prayer was, our hearts are, our hearts are restless until they find its rest or peace in you. And he, and another thing, what I like, he talks about the freedom of the will. He says that Adam was neutral. He could choose right. He can choose wrong. And then after the after Adam, after the fall, we were incapable of choosing right. After Christ, we are now capable of doing right. And we are now capable of choosing right. But in the new creation, we will be incapable of doing wrong. 
We're still capable, but we have the freedom. Right now, we have the freedom to do right, but we're still capable of doing wrong. But now we have the freedom to do what's right. But in the new creation, we will be completely incapable of doing doing wrong. This is Augustine's idea? Augustine's idea. Okay. Yeah. Adam is free. After Adam, we're incapable of doing wrong, right. After the cross, we're capable of doing right. After the new creation is culminated, we will be incapable of doing wrong. So, I mean, Augustine, there's so much he writes. He he argues with Pelagian over free will, and Pelagian was pretty much a guy. He was a monk. By the way, he, they never met. Pelagius and, and Augustine never met, and most people don't realize it, so they never had a debate on stage. It was mostly... <laughs> You know, he came to a town and, and everybody's like, hey, Pelagius was here and he said this. And, you know, <laughs> so they were always having this indirect discourse about and it's mostly about free will. Pelagius said that you are you are completely untainted by by sin and your your desires are neutral and you can you're completely free to choose either way. And you are completely capable of solving the dilemma of sin all by yourself. And as long as you try hard enough, that's pretty much what what. And by the way, Pelagius was considered a heretic by later church fathers, because we know that our 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 desires are always, you know, they're not always pure. And I guess we can we can talk about free will, free free will for a little bit, for like a minute. Where do we stand with free will? I mean, that's such a big topic. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, with free will, yeah. Where do we stand with it? Yeah. Like a belief in free will? Yeah. Are we, are we, are we, uh, that we can make causeless choices? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but, but I don't know. A lot of people feel like you, I mean, it's, it's almost like a human thing to think that we are completely free to make our decisions. And that is true. You are, as a human being, your choices are, no one's you're not compelled to do anything you don't want right so you do what you feel you want to do but what we don't realize is that and is the argument of augustine is that although you are free to choose your decisions are always tied to the inclination of your heart and if your heart is evil how can you choose good freely mm-hmm. you're incapable your heart is marred and scarred and black. So you need a new heart. You need you a need, new mind. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need to be born again. You know, and the Bible talks about this. Before Christ, you were slaves of unrighteousness. A slave doesn't have the freedom towards righteousness. You're you're only free towards unrighteousness. Why? Because that's what your heart condition is. But you're still free to do according to your heart, and that's the thing. That's what people don't realize. People say, "Well, I'm free. I'm. I'm I feel like I'm free. I make my own decisions." Well, you do, and you always choose according to the inclination of your heart. Yeah, I think, um, I think you see hints of it. So in Augustine's writing on the city of God, and so it was in response to the claims that Christianity was now weakening the Roman Empire because the barbarians were slowly, this was kind of already on the fringes of the end of the Roman Empire, the barbarians were kind of taken over. And his response was, so there's two cities formed by two loves, the love of the earthly and the self and your sinful nature 
and it's even contempt to God. And then there's the kingdom of God that's contempt to self. And one glorifies the earthly kingdom and one glorifies godly. So the thing, the idea was that Christians were weakening it through their goodness and charity and everybody was just kind of becoming soft. But what he argues is that these kingdoms are headed in two different directions. There's an earthly kingdom and it's going to be condemned. And then there's God's kingdom, which is going to culminate very soon and it's at hand and it will, and it's going to be fulfilled and you're going to be living in God's blessing. Yeah. And what's, I think what interesting point there is that the kingdom or the city of God or the city of, of man, they're not literal cities and the church is, does not equal the, the city of God. Yeah. The it's city like of church God, and state. Exactly. It's not the church versus the state. It's those who are of God versus those who are not of God. Those who are, who live for, essentially in our terminology, those who belong to Christ and those who don't belong to Christ. And those who belong to Christ transect every aspect of society. They're not just in the church. They're in the universities, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're they're all, they're, they're educators, they're all over the stay-at-home moms, they're all over the place. It's do, those who belong to Christ. And they say, and his idea is they can't essentially, they're antithetical t- towards each other. Mm-hmm. They, they can't essentially be one thing because they're headed in completely separate directions as Dave said. Yeah. I think that the topic of free will is a great sort of like you, you said it so beautifully, but basically it's a good cliffhanger for um, another one of our discussions. Cause I think there's so much more so there. Much more. We can't mm-hmm. unpack. Yeah, we yeah. can't. I mean, we was like, we barely just like got the tip of the iceberg right now. But as far as uh, the topic of early Christian philosophers, Closing thoughts, guys. Anything else you want to add? I feel like, I mean, obviously, again, for every topic, there just isn't enough time in the day. So we're just kind of, you know, those of you tuning in, we're just trying to kind of give you a brief overview of the topic of early Christian philosophy so you can take that information. Um, you can run with it further. And we'll, like Dave said, have some other readings that you can look into. But for the most part, this is just a general overview. And I think that if there's nothing else... Well, I like what N.T. Wright says about the gospel. And this, I think, pertains to Christians in every generation. You never arrive at a complete understanding of the gospel. Every generation has to... Every generation has to struggle with its meaning. What does it mean in my time? Right. And I think that's an interesting point to kind of end with because, you know, we talked about the apostolic fathers and the apologists being the church babies. But what's to say? I mean, I think you bring up a good point. It's like, what's to say that we're not church babies? Like, depending on how much more God has in store for this earth, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, well, you know, well, look at the times, the end is near. But everyone's been saying that. Yeah. For, Every generation, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it almost like so, just kind of doesn't give a hope or an urge to like press on and yeah. and run hard or like the finish. Like, oh, it's the end is near. We're gonna pack yeah, our we bags and let's just, let's yeah. go check on. out. You so know? you keep struggling with its meaning, right? Every generation struggles with its meaning, and I think it's God's intention because because you don't learn when you you get a certain you know group of facts. You you learn in the process of the, you learn in the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, 
everybody thanks again for tuning in guys this is fun i love it this is good good discussion tonight and for those of you out there who are listening in we definitely want to hear from you please interact with us on social media the now not yet we're on instagram and we're going to be on other social media platforms as well so i think that concludes this evening's episode again we are looking forward to another wonderful discussion about our culture, about the early church, about philosophy. I mean, you know, any number of topics. So thanks again for tuning into the Now Not Yet, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Mm-hmm.